This episode of the MJ Cast is sponsored by the podcast Karl Marx Does the Washing Up. Co-hosts Shy and Ilias navigate the complex world of truth, romance, hell, and housework in comedic philosophy discussions, where they tackle big subjects while doing the most banal of chores, washing the dishes. Check out this podcast made by fellow MJ fans at com or on any podcast app. The following is a presentation from the MJ Cast, the internet's premier podcast on all things Michael Jackson. I'm a black American. I am proud of who I am. Together, we can make a change in the world. I I like to take sounds and put them on the microscope. There's a driving bass, you become the bass. Let the music write itself. I don't sing it if I don't mean it. Welcome to the MJ Cast, your source of news, discussion, and interviews on the King of Pop. Hello, and welcome to episode 132 of the MJ Cast. I'm your host, Elise Capron, and today I'm honored to be joined by Eileen Medaya, author of the newly published memoir, The King of Pop and I, a Filipino teacher's travel memoir with Michael Jackson and his children. Eileen's book covers the years 2005 through 2008, when she served as the traveling homeschool teacher for the Jackson family while they lived in Bahrain, Europe, Asia, and the United States. Working with Michael Jackson and his children on a daily basis, Eileen's insights into their family dynamics, Jackson's role as a father, and their day-to-day lifestyles gives fascinating insights into the true Michael Jackson, what he was like as a human being, not just as the king of pop. Eileen's book also serves as a journal of her amazing travels all over the world. Eileen, we're so happy to have you on the show today. Welcome to the MJ Cast. Hi, Elias. It's so good to talk to you finally. Well, we're really excited to dive into these amazing experiences that you had with Michael Jackson and his children. First, though, we do like on our show to kind of go all the way back to the beginning. So can you tell us just a bit about what your early life was like, what sort of childhood you had growing up in the Philippines? And also, I have to know, were you an MJ fan growing up as a kid? Absolutely. I was a fan. Everybody in the Philippines knows Michael Jackson. And at that time, I kept on hearing his songs on the radio and some local artists would sing his song. So um, how can I not be a fan? But I would say that it did get to a point where I would research and follow him around. So I was just like, as you would say, just like a regular fan of Mr. Jackson. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, in terms of being a teacher, my co-host, Jamin, who's of course not on today's episode, but he is a teacher in his day job. And so he's really curious about why you wanted to become a teacher in the first place. I love children and it has really been a passion of mine to, to teach young learners because they inspire me a lot. And I, I want to pass on just like a little knowledge I have to them. And yeah, I, I just really love to be with a company of children. And did you have certain subject areas that um, were your specialty when you were first studying to become a teacher? Um, actually, here in the Philippines, we were asked to do a lot of subjects. But I was 
really um, teaching in the reading section, reading area. And then was your goal originally to work in schools or were you most interested in private tutoring, which is what you essentially ended up doing with the Jacksons? Oh, here in the Philippines, I was a private school teacher, actually. I I really want to be um, in a classroom setting. But yeah, but the opportunity came when I was in Bahrain to be the private homeschool teacher of Princess Person Blanket. And yeah, that, that was okay with me too. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Yeah, so jumping to Bahrain. So in May 2005, in order to find job opportunities, you really left most of your family behind in the Philippines, which must have been tough. Can you walk us a bit through that early time in Bahrain and also how you were originally hired to work for Michael Jackson? Oh, yes. Um, Yes, I went to Bahrain for some um, job opportunities because life in the Philippines was really hard. So at the time, the paycheck could barely pay for my needs. It was really challenging because I have to do my teaching job in daytime and go to my graduate class in the evening. So it was really physically and mentally exhausting. So I thought that why not go to the Middle East? Because um, there are some work opportunities there. So I did eventually left for Bahrain um, at that same year. And how did you end up being hired to work for Michael Jackson? I love this story. Oh, yeah. It was um, in a book that when I arrived in Bahrain, I was looking for a job. And you can just imagine every day I would look up in the newspaper <laughs> trying to look for some job opportunities. So there were a lot, actually. I applied for teaching jobs, even for uh, any like secretarial jobs and everything. Because at first, there were really no vacancies. Until one day, when I searched the, the newspaper, it was like at the Gulf Daily News. They call it the Gulf Daily News in Bahrain. And I found this little ad. It's really little that you could barely see it. But <laughs> at the time, I was so desperate for, for a job. So I didn't, I didn't miss that. So it says there, like we're looking for a traveling homeschool teacher and willing to travel ASAP. And the word traveling caught my caught my attention. Who wouldn't like to travel, right? So mm-hmm. I I didn't waste time and I submitted my curriculum vitae or the resume to that address that was on the newspaper. So that was the ad that was for that for the job, like as a homeschool teacher for Prince Parson Blanket. But at the time, I didn't know that it was Mr. Jackson looking for a teacher because it didn't say anything. <laughs> I was later told that somebody just wrote it for them or just placed the ad for them. And yeah, I, I submitted my, my application and I had a call back actually. Like I have a call. It wasn't really right away. It, like a few a few weeks after that, so I thought that um, I didn't made it. But one day, Miss Grace Waramba actually she made an like an alias. She used the name Mary Montgomery, and mm-hmm. she told me that she received my application, my um, resume, and she asked me if I could meet her for an interview. So I was so happy at that time that finally someone's going to meet me for an interview. 
So that's it. So I, I went I went to the to the place where she told me to go to. So it was at Ritz Carlton in Bahrain. So I went there and I met her. And yeah, that was it. So we had an interview in, in the villa of the Ritz Carlton. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Kind of a little magical chain of events there. What do you think made you stand out from the other applicants? Why did Grace decide you were the right fit? I was told that before I went there, Miss Grace and Mr. Jackson already saw my application. Like they already read everybody's application and mm-hmm. resume. So um, at the time, I didn't know that they were already decided to hire me. I was told that in that interview was just like the formality of, or just like confirming that I was really the right person for the job. And later also, I was told that there were like almost 200 applicants for the job. And I was really so blessed that I was chosen. And Miss Grace also told me later on that finding the right teacher for the children is as hard as finding a lifetime partner. Like there are a lot of applicants, right? But I mean, there are a lot of people out there, but then they have to find the the right person for the job. And I think at the time they just saw in me that I was, I would say perfect, but the right person for the job because they were not only after for my qualifications, but they were also interested in my personal life, like my interest. And I believe that they were making sure that I would be like the right influence for the children. So, Mm -hmm. so even, um, after questioning me about my qualifications and how would things related to classroom management and everything, they also asked me, I mean, she also asked me like how I spent my, my free time. Like, do you go out at night or do you go to the bar <laughs> or something like that? So she was interested on the personal side of me. And I I sincerely answered all her questions that I during during weekends or I just stayed at home and on Sundays I go to church. And yeah, I know it was pretty boring, but <laughs> I I sincerely answered all her questions. And I guess at that time she was able to confirm that. I was the right person for the job. So I was really thankful for that. Yeah, absolutely. So you went through this whole mysterious process. You're just going totally blind. You impress Grace Ramamba and you find out at the end that, oh, you're working for Michael Jackson. I know, I know. How did that feel? (laughs) I know, I thought, no, because there was like these two parts of the interview. The first part was like, the more intense one, like the serious one, like she was asking me about my my work experience. Like there are even classroom management questions. How would you handle this and that? So it was really kind of serious. I mean, yeah, serious topic. And then in the second part, it was like a more relaxed conversation. So I got more comfortable in the second part. And then after that, I think she got convinced maybe of what I told her. And she said that I got a job and and she said that your employer, by the way, is Mr. Michael Jackson. And at the back of my mind, it was like, was it was this a prank? <laughs> like I couldn't believe what I just heard. <laughs> because can you imagine Michael Jackson 
And prior to that, I have already heard some news or like some rumors in town that people have seen Michael Jackson at the mall. Like I was like wishing at the time that please God, let me just see him just for once or just maybe for 10 <laughs> seconds. And here comes Miss Grace telling me that your employer is Mr. Jackson. It, it was it's like impossible for me. So I really thought it was a prank, but when I looked at her face, she was so serious. And I said, oh, this must be it. <laughs> so I said, okay, cool. <laughs> so Mr. Michael Jackson. So I wanted to scream. I wanted to jump, but I couldn't. I, I, I wanted to, I went to, um, I wanted to stay um, still um, in focus with the interview. So yeah, that's it. It was really it's an unforgettable moment. I'll never forget. Yeah, I bet. Oh my gosh, I, I would have fainted dead away. <laughs> oh, and I did. I, I was really yeah. I did a good job at the time. Yeah. So just to clarify the timing, so Michael moved to Bahrain in late June 2005, right after his very, you know, devastating, difficult trial, although he did, of course, come out of that declared innocent in a court of law. When did you actually start working for him? Was it shortly upon his arrival there or a bit later? What was the timing of that? I started actually, um, it was already late 2005. It's already December. So late. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes, yes. Now, can you tell us about the very first time you met Michael Jackson in his home? Oh, I was really nervous at that time. And I was still okay, though, before I left our flat. But when I arrived at the property, it finally sank in that I'm meeting the King of Pop. (laughs) Then I panicked for a bit. So I was like, what am I doing here? What if he doesn't like me and changes his mind? So I just... So after that, I just said a short prayer to calm my nerves. And yeah, it really helped. I felt at ease afterwards. So after that, a few minutes, I saw Mr. Jackson and the children coming to my direction. So he was wearing a dark blue dress shirt or like a long sleeves with a tie. And yeah, he was really good looking and the children were wearing their school uniform. So at the time, I introduced myself and he introduced himself and the children then he eventually extended his hand to shake mine and after that we sat down and then i proceeded and i presented my resume the school curriculum the school schedule so you could see i was really prepared at that time mm-hmm. because i don't want to make him think that he made the bad like a wrong decision so i was really prepared and i tried to explain everything And I guess at the time, he was so pleased with what I presented because I saw him nodding while I was explaining to him everything. (laughs) When I saw him nodding, I was like, I felt comfortable right away. Like, Eileen, good job. You're doing a great job. So just continue. So, and then after that, he added that in the curriculum, we should add manners and proper etiquette because he stressed that this is really important in the education. Mm -hmm. And he was really particular with school, like he wanted to raise intelligent kids, but at the same time, um, kids with values. So that is Mm -hmm. what I really like about him. And then after that, he congratulated me again, and and he told me that he would see me on the first day of school. Oh, wow. And so he gave you all those parameters right from the get-go. He wanted you to know the values for his children and all of that Mm -hmm. stuff right away. That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So in the book, you write about how classes were held in a separate pavilion from the rest of the house. Did you stay mainly in that pavilion in the entire time you were in Bahrain? Did you go into the main house at all other than that first meeting? Um, yes, classes were held in the separate pavilion, and the butler or a waiter would only come to me to bring me food during break time and lunch. But there were also times when they would invite me inside the house. Okay. But classes were strictly held inside the pavilion. Mm-hmm. It's just it's actually attached to the house, but it has a different uh, it has a different door, like a different entrance. Okay. So if you have to go to the main house, you have to go out and walk. It's like a long path going to the main door of the house. Yeah, and it seemed like in most cases, everywhere you went, you almost always seemed to have a separate area that was really dedicated to the children's teaching, right? Yes, yes. Like if we were in a hotel, Mr. Jackson would always get a separate room as our classroom. And yeah, but there was only one time that we used his suite. Like we shared the same suite with him for our class. But that was only once, yeah. Okay, and when was that? I believe when we were in San Jose, California. Interesting. Um, Going back to Bahrain, can you tell us anything about the rest of the estate? You mentioned some details in your book, like the mini zoo, (laughs) which sounds like a very Michael Jackson sort of thing to be there. Um, Can you tell us anything else about the details of the property? Okay, so the property was really huge and the lawn was massive and the property was surrounded with high fence. There was also a very spacious garage at the side of the property and the zoo. Yes, there were gazelles and deers and those more animals in there. And it's really a a property or a place like you could say fit for a king. So it was really beautiful. I bet. Okay, let's take a quick break to talk about our first episode sponsor. As listeners know, in season seven, we have refocused our sponsorship program on highlighting fellow MJ Fam community members, those content creators, business owners, artists, and more who are doing great work and whom we want to support. This episode sponsor is the podcast Carl Marx Does the Washing Up. In this comedic philosophy podcast made by friends Shai Telly and Ilias Kazam, they ponder, as they say, ludicrous metaphysical nonsense while doing the dishes. But really, they tackle big life topics through the lens of philosophy, captured in short but in-depth discussions. Sometimes insightful, sometimes funny, always absurd, these two oddballs journey towards the abyss of ridiculousness, hoping to stumble upon enlightenment. Episode topics include concepts like souls, identity, heroes, rebirth, and much more. And the guys happen to be big MJ fans, so Michael Jackson features in many of their chats. If you're into philosophy or just casually pondering the meaning of life while you do household chores, you'll find lots to explore in their three seasons of episodes. Be sure to give them a listen. You can check out the show at com on Apple Podcasts or on any major podcast app. Thanks so much, guys, for supporting this episode of the MJ Cast. If you are interested in being a future episode sponsor, please feel free to reach out to us at the MJCast at iCloud.com. Now let's get back to our chat with Eileen. 
So the main part of your role working for the Jackson family was, of course, teaching the children, Prince, Paris, and Blanket, now known as BG. Can you tell us just a bit about your daily routine with them? Okay, so we would start school at 8 a.m. sharp every morning and end at 3 p.m. So our school was just like any regular school. We follow a daily schedule and they learn the same subjects, just like the same subjects like mathematics, science, penmanship, um, reading, language, social studies. So it's basically the same subjects as the normal school, regular school. But the only thing that's only unique about our school or classes was that we didn't have a permanent classroom because at the time we kept on traveling. So traveling didn't stop school. So wherever we went, classrooms may change from castles to hotel rooms to regular house <laughs> and even, yeah, outside a recording studio. Because Mr. Jackson really wanted the children to learn more. And as you can see in one of his notes in my book, he said that he really knows the importance of education. So that's why school continued wherever we went. And how did you manage teaching children who were different ages? I mean, Prince and Paris were close enough, but, you know, BG was several years younger. Um, How does that work for you as a teacher? Yeah, so they were, I made um, a different curriculum for the younger blanket, of course, because he would cry if I would let him, (laughs) if I would let him answer the exercises for uh, his older siblings. So, yes, after I... I explained the lessons to Prince in Paris. I would go to Blanket. And sometimes I would explain, on some days, I would explain the lesson first to Blanket. And then after that, I would do it with Prince in Paris. So mm-hmm. they have um, yeah, different activities and different lessons, of course. So yeah, it's, it's quite challenging, but... It sounds quite challenging. <laughs> yes, but they were really good and fast learners. So they didn't really give me any problems at all at the time. So how did the kids first react to you when you first started working with them? Was it, did you have to kind of have them get to know you and trust you? What was that like? At first, it was kind of awkward because I don't know them yet and they don't know me. So we were just like observing each other. And at the time, I was even scared. Like I was even worried that if I tell them to read this or write that, would they would they listen to me? Because... I don't know if how would they react or how would they behave when their father is not around. But then earlier that day, I realized I was just worried for no reason at all because they were really, they were really good kids. And they, they followed everything I told them. On our first day of school, I told them to give me or like make a card, like my promise to you, Miss Eileen, like for, for the school year. So... I believe it's on the it's in the book. Like there's a picture there, like my promise to you. So I told them mm-hmm. be their promise to me for it, when it comes to school. So yeah, they, they 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 made everything like they followed everything I told them to do. So they were really good kids and they listen. Yeah. If I may add, over time, I I believe that they got comfortable with me. I think it also helped because I traveled with them a lot, so I was with them all the time. So I think it also helped and I gained their trust easily and and they were comfortable talking to me and they would start talking to me about a lot of stuff. 
Yeah, well, it seems like ultimately you all had a very special experience, which we're going to we'll get into a little bit more later. And I did want to say too, the book is full of these beautiful photographs of like the notes they wrote you as kids. And that's just so sweet and so special. And it's really lovely that you shared those um, with us in your book. But you also do it really respectfully. I mean, there's nothing in the book that, you know, feels overly personal. You know, I, I really feel your respect for the family coming through in your book, which is um, as a fan, you know, means a lot to me. And thank you for that. But also thank you for the little images that you do share with us. They're great. Yeah. At first, um, Elise, people were really skeptical about me Mm -hmm. when they heard the news that a teacher, like the traveling homeschool teacher, Prince Paris and Blanket would be releasing a book. They were like skeptical, like, why is she releasing a book? Like, why? Is she going to share a lot of like secrets about the kids? Like, will she be violating the the privacy of the children and everything? So at the time, there were a lot of skepticisms. But when they finally read a book and their their feedback or, or the review changed because they saw that how I wrote the book, it was written in a very respectful manner because I understood and still now I understand how important privacy is with a family. And so mm-hmm. I respect that. I respect Mr. Jackson. I respect the children. And it was kind of challenging because I wanted to share my experience at the same time, not violating their privacy. So I was really very particular about that. And I wanted to maintain that balance of um, sharing my journey without violating the privacy of the children. Well, I really think you found that balance and and I respect you very very much for, you know, keeping certain things sacred. I think, you know, you did that very well in your book. But it's nothing that but it's not that I have bad things to say. It's oh, not no, really like of course that. not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those were just the highlights of my journey with a family. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I will bring up a question now that maybe given what we just talked about, you may not want to answer too much, but I'd love to hear what you do have to say about it. So Michael Jackson landed in Bahrain, you know, immediately after going through this really devastating experience with accusations, this huge trial, he was being treated terribly by the press. When you did see him and you saw him quite frequently, did you get any glimpse at all into his emotional state at this point? Did he seem fragile? You know, did you see that side of him at all? At the time in Bahrain, I only see him before and after school. Mm -hmm. So, but during those times, I could see that he was calm, he was relaxed and at ease. And he was always smiling when I saw him at the property. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I could see that he was relaxed at that time. I couldn't see that something is wrong or he was grieving. I don't know. It wasn't mm-hmm. just me. It was just my personal observation. I also do want to ask you about Michael and his career as a musician at this particular moment, because some interesting stuff was going on in Bahrain, which I realize you may or may not have seen any of it. But um, when he was living in Bahrain, he signed a recording contract with Two C's Records, which was owned by Shigadula Al-Khalifa. Um, and one of the first projects he started working on was a charity single for the victims of Hurricane Katrina. Did Michael Jackson ever talk to you at all 
or make mention of his music endeavors while he was in Bahrain? Actually, Adish, he didn't because we only have yeah, conversations about school and children. So, yeah, most of our conversations revolve around that subject only. But yes, I heard about that, but he didn't tell me like directly about it. That is totally fair. Um, we had to ask because you were the one of the few people who were around <laughs> during that time. Yeah, so moving on, um, Grace Rwamba was a really important presence in your life from the very start of working with the Jackson family. So as listeners know, you know, Grace served as the children's nanny, and she was ultimately this a close personal assistant for Michael Jackson. Can you tell us a bit about your relationship with her and what that was like? Um, she was a mentor for you. How did that work? Yes, um, Miss Grace was the kindest and still is up to this day. I still talk to her every now oh, and great. then. Yeah. And if it's not because of her, I wouldn't have lasted in my job. As what you've said, she yes, she was my mentor and my advisor. And at the time when something was bothering me or when I had a problem, she was always there to listen and give me and gave me some advices. And mm-hmm. I remember that she kept telling me that the challenges we have are not meant to destroy us, but they are given to us to shape our character. So she kept mm-hmm. on telling me to always pray to God and because God listens to our prayers. So you know what? Until now, I still do live by the words. And Miss mm-hmm. Chris was also the reason I have a very strong faith in God. She was always there she would always share with me some Bible verses in God's words. And mm-hmm. she was literally like my guardian angel. <laughs> so wow. she was, yeah, she was really a blessing to me. And I'm so happy that up to this day, I still get to communicate with her and check with her um, every now and then. Aside from me getting hurt about reading negative narratives about Mr. Jackson, I also get offended when I hear bad things written about her because obviously these people don't know her personally. She was, for me, she was the kindest, the most generous and caring person I know. And she's just like the female version of Mr. Jackson, I could say. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. She's she's really nice. She's really, really nice. Mm -hmm. And um, at the time, like when she hired me or when I started working as a teacher, she explained to me the rules, like the do's and don'ts. And she told me to give Mr. Pri- uh, Mr. Jackson some privacy and never ask children anything not related to school because she said that Mr. Jackson did like that. So these are just like the guiding rules, like house rules that um, she told me. And she added that if I have like questions, I could just ask Mr. Jackson directly or or her. I remembered that that rule until the very end, and I'm really so thankful for her. And um, yeah, she's really the reason why I lasted that long working for the Jacksons. So Michael. Getting more to him as as a father, he was very involved in the kids' routines, and I know he was really mindful of their classwork and responsibilities. Can you t- share with us some of your impressions of him generally as a father and how he interacted with the kids on a daily basis? Mr. Jackson, for me, was the best father to the children, is what I have seen and observed. 
He was a very handsome father. And at that time, he would wake up really early and help the children prepare for school. He would prepare breakfast for them. And he helped them with their homework, played with them, watched movies with them. And yeah, he was just like, he, he was really a great father to Prince Paris and Blanket. And I could see that he was the happiest when he was with his kids. The children were his life. So he was, at the time, I even felt that he was so prepared to give up everything just for them. So definitely he was a remarkable father. That's wonderful. You mentioned a little bit about how he gave you some guidelines when you very first met him. How much was he involved in curriculum decisions once you really got into being the kid's teacher? And did he give you feedback on what you were teaching his children? <laughs> mm-hmm. At the time, I showed him like a day book. It's just like a lesson plan. So it was given to him. And um, there were just some like lessons that he would say that should not be discussed in school. Like he would rather explain it to the children. I think um, that's because like sensitive issues. I believe that was also like Martin Luther King. We discussed about his life, but didn't really go deeper because he said he, he will um, explain it by himself. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. There was just some... Um, topics that he would rather talk to the children by himself. But most of the time, he was okay with what I presented him, like the curriculum and the subjects. Mm -hmm. I was also lucky, I was blessed that Mr. Jackson and I were on the same page when it comes to the education of the children. Like He was so supportive when I told him, like, Mr. Jackson, could we go to this museum? Because I wanted to show the children about this, like the other one in San Francisco, we, and sorry, in San Jose, we went to this museum. And, and even in Vegas, I told him, can we go to a museum? Because I wanted to show the children this and I wanted them to learn. And he was like, oh, sure, no problem. And I was really so lucky that he was, we were on the same page. And he was so, it was really very supportive. And he would never say no to, our, to my proposed um, museum visits, like, even park visits just to give the kids a breath of fresh air. And yeah, those stuff, he was really so supportive. That's great. And I know he really wanted the kids to be able to have some semblance of a normal life as well. So you, I know this is kind of later in the narrative, but you did get to take them out and have those normal experiences as well, which was nice. Yes, yes. There were times when we went out with uh, Mr. Jackson he would just tell the security to go with us. And at that time, we, we went to the museums and parks. And during those times, the children were not wearing any coverings or masks. Because that's exactly the reason why, like the point why Mr. Jackson would always let them wear masks and coverings so that when the children are out without him, the people wouldn't recognize them. So there will be no paparazzis um, following us, taking pictures, because they didn't know at the time what and how they look like. So we had normal outings or we had normal museum visits and park visits without Mr. Jackson because when he was with us, it's a different story because no matter how careful we were, people would always find out 
And like it would just end us not enjoying the visit because we would rush, we'd always run and rush and go back to the car. So yeah, th- so that's the reason why Mr. Jackson asked the children to wear the coverings and the mask. Right, for their own protection. He was being a good dad. Yes, yes. I want to go back to uh, Michael Jackson as a father and his interest in, you know, books and education. Again, my co-host, who is a teacher, as I mentioned, is very curious if you ever spoke to Michael about what historical time periods he was interested in. Do you know anything about that or what he was interested in generally as a student himself or as a reader? All I know was that Mr. Jackson is a bookworm. He read a lot of books. He was interested in travel, in, in architecture, in design. And I didn't have that chance to talk with him about that. But uh, at the time, I just caught him bringing books about yeah, those, what I told you, like the design, architecture, and everything. We didn't really get into that um, conversation about that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She was all focused on the kids, right? <laughs> yes, yes. How did he make sure that the kids were doing things like completing their homework? And, you know, and also, how did he really make sure that his kids were, you know, getting all the education they needed? Were they getting grades from you? How did that part of it work? I gave him like, the, like there's a report card that says the the grades of the children. And also after school, the children would always discuss to him what we talk in school. So he, he knew everything, what what happened in school. Yeah, they always like, there's an extension of like the lesson when it was only them. And as what I've told you, like Mr. Jackson has a copy of the, like a day book or a lesson plan. So he has a copy of that and he knows what's going on. And we had a CCTV Yes. <laughs> in the classroom so he could oversee what we're doing. And at times when if he see that like, something's not right, he would always call me and say, Zaylene, please let them raise their hand. Don't let them, something like that. So he was always, um, he was always there and he, he makes sure that he knows what's going on in school. How did that feel to you as a teacher being watched on video all the time? Was that, was that oh. intimidating? <laughs> Um, at first, um, it, I mean, it's not it's not really that intimidating because I was I was already I was told that there will be a CCTV, so it's a different story if if it was just there and I didn't know about it. But I was sure told, told beforehand about that. But it was it was okay for me. And did you give him those? lesson plans on a daily basis before you taught them how did that part of it work yes yes um not on a daily basis though it's just like a weekly weekly basis okay so in terms of the actual family dynamics i mean you've you've talked about this a tiny bit in terms of like respecting privacy and everything but did michael jackson actually have any rules that he established for your interactions with the family um mr jackson didn't tell me directly the rules I was just told about it when I started working for them. Mm-hmm. So those are just like like house rules. Because I was also told that if you're a teacher, you have to focus your energy on the education of the children. And that's your job. So you don't have you don't have to meddle with their work, like for the schedule of Mr. Jackson and everything. Because your job, you were hired as a teacher, so you focus all your energy teaching the children. 
So the same with the security. They could not ask me about what we're doing in school. They couldn't ask me, what did you do? Or what, like, what did the children do and everything? Because that is not their job. So we were, at the time, we were, we were told to focus only our energy on our specific job. So I believe it was about five months after you started working for them that the family transferred to Europe from Bahrain. You were in France first, and then you went to Ireland in July of 2006. You describe in your book the time in Ireland as very peaceful. It's a lovely section of the book. What, in your view, made Ireland special for you and also for the family? For me, Ireland was really special because at that time, the family was able to bond without the fear of some paparazzi taking photos of them inside the property. When we were in Lugalo in, in Ireland, there were no bodyguards, actually. It was only us. So Mr. Jackson, the children, Miss Grace, and I, and just the uh, driver and the household help. So it was really us. Mm-hmm. When we moved to Grouse Lodge, Mr. Jackson was able to he had a taste of freedom, like going around the neighborhood without um, thinking of like reporters coming in or like paparazzi taking photos. So at that time, I think it was really priceless. The time in Ireland was really good for them they, because they were able to bond and they really grew close as a, like, as a family. Probably really one of the only times he got to live a normal life. Yes, yes. Because let's face it, he can't get that from any other places. Right, exactly. And that's why Ireland is really special. Yeah. You also talk a bit about the protectiveness of the locals. Can you speak to that? Oh, yeah. At the time, I was I was just actually told by, by the people there at Grouse Lodge that when reporters would come, they would always give them like, oh, this Michael Jackson lives here, they would always um, give them the wrong direction so that they wouldn't know that it, that Mr. Jackson was just there. So the locals really protected him at that time, and we really appreciate that. And I felt at the time that Mr. Jackson really appreciated everything, and the Irish hospitality was just great. Our stay in, in Ireland was really was really great because of the people around us. That's wonderful. So I do want to ask another music related question, which, you know, you can answer however works for you. But during this particular time, Michael Jackson was flying in a lot of big producers who were going to collaborate with him at the Grouse Lodge in Ireland. So this included, for example, Will I Am for the Black Eyed Peas. Were you lucky enough to hear any of that work together? Did you see any of those collaborators coming and going? I saw just a glimpse of them because we're, we were having school. Although our classroom was just inside the recording studio, but there's like a, di- a division where we could not fully hear everything. So um, when we were there, I saw Will I Am and some other people coming in. But the funny part is, I don't know who these people are except for Will I Am. So <laughs> I was just told that they were producers coming in. And at that time, Mr. Jackson was really um, busy recording. And I wonder if, though, if being able to actually work and have these collaborators coming in and out, it probably did contribute to his sense of happiness, being in this place, being productive, being with his family. I'm sure it was all a whole package. I think that's great. Let's take a final break to talk for a moment about the MJ Cast shop. Now, listeners always ask how they can help support the show. 
One great way to do this is through a purchase from our merch shop at themjcast.com slash shop. Here you'll find fantastic, unique designs, all created by my wonderful co-host, Jamin Bull, from our classic MJCast sunset logo to retro pixel designs of the Jacksons as well as MJ's tours, and fun text designs like MJ's album names or the Captain EO characters. Plus, you can get these designs on just about any products you like, from t-shirts and sweatshirts to phone cases, tote bags, mugs, wall art, stickers, and so much more. Be sure to check them out. We know you'll find one you love. And keep an eye on our page as we plan to release new designs later this year. All proceeds from shop sales go towards show running costs, equipment, and charity donations. For example, we recently donated to help with the COVID relief effort in India. You can promote the MJCast and Michael Jackson all at the same time with a purchase from the MJCast.com slash shop. And if you do purchase an item, be sure to share it with us. We'd love to feature you on our social media pages. Thanks so much in advance for supporting the MJ cast. Can you talk a bit more about the kids? We haven't talked too much about them yet. Tell us a bit about what they were like. You have some wonderful stories in the book um, and maybe just a couple of your favorite moments with them. Favorite moments with them. Um, Actually, Every day was really my favorite moments with them. But <laughs> um, maybe Prince. I always remember Prince as like the responsible brother. He was the one in charge whenever Mr. Jackson was not around. And he was really responsible at a very young age. And his siblings really looked up to him. And I always, I could always picture Prince just like a really responsible leader. Mm-hmm. And um, Paris, oh, I, um, those moments when Paris would tell me stories about the book she was reading or she just read. At that time, she was really into, I, I don't know if you've heard about it, like the Rainbow Magic books. Like this, this <laughs> yeah, all about fairies. And she would excitedly tell me what's going on. And I could always picture Paris talking to me that way. And also, blanket at the time he was really um he was not naughty, but he was like he's playful, and <laughs> I mentioned in the book that he was teasing me, he was always teasing me like he could pronounce Eileen, so he was like, "Miss Alien, can I just call you Miss Alien?" So it was so funny, <laughs> and he would laugh so hard, and yeah, those were like moments that I would really um couldn't forget about them. Yeah, that's great. Did you have any special one-on-one interactions with Michael Jackson? Any particular like conversations that you two had together that you're willing to share that you remember? There were a lot, but as I mentioned in my book, there were there were just very special conversations that I had with him. One was when he he called me and I was really busy doing something and I didn't hear him call me. And there was a voice message and it says that Miss Eileen, call me. Uh, this is Mr. Jackson. Please call me as soon as you can. And so I, at that time, I was really very scared if I did something bad. I was like, what did they do this time? Why is he calling me? And so I, I called him back and he said that I was like, Mr. Jackson, this is Miss Eileen. Like, is, is everything okay? Like, are you okay or do you need anything from me? And he was like, 
No, um, no, no. Actually, I just want to tell you that thank you for teaching my children, and thank you for being you. I do appreciate you, and that is what is good about Mr. Jackson. He would not call you because he needed something. He would call you just to tell you how he felt. So that is how thoughtful he was, and you wouldn't expect that from a king of pop to do.、Mm-hmm. This is some things that other people don't know about him. That he was really very thoughtful and very appreciative as a boss. There were also a lot of instances. I think I also mentioned that time when we were at Heathrow, when I told him that Mr. Jackson, I would like to thank you for everything. If not because of you, I would not be able to travel to these beautiful places. And he would, he was very consistent in saying that, oh no, you deserve it. Like, thank you so much for teaching my children. So he was thoughtful that way. That is why I got so、um, emotionally attached with the family because of that thoughtfulness and the kindness they've shown me. Well, you know, in the book too, you have some great stories about parties you would have for、yes. the family and how much it meant to Michael Jackson to just to just be with the people he loved. And so it's great to hear too that he extended that care to an employee, although you were really much more than that since you spent so much time with the family. But he really treated you, you know, like like a family member in in so many ways, you know, because that was what he ultimately he cared about and just wanted. To surround himself with, I think that's that's fantastic、um, and really special.、Mm-hmm. And if I may add,、um, really blessed because Mr. Jackson treated me as a family. Like when we were when we went out, like I ate the same food that they ate. And、um, when he started inviting me to like private、um, birthdays or gatherings, that's when that's when I realized that he already considered me as a family member. And、mm-hmm. I was just so thankful for him because I heard also that before that he was he had really bad experiences and he was betrayed too many times, and、um, I just felt that I felt so happy and that he that he accepted me as just like a family member. What about your relationships with other members of Michael's staff? So we talked a bit about Grace, but did you have good relationships with other members of the staff? Did you guys help each other out? What was that dynamic like? There were not really a lot of staff.、Um, I was only with Miss Grace,、um, the children, Mr. Jackson, and the security. There were a lot of security during my my time, like Brother Bashir. If I I don't know if you know him. Good relationship with Brother Bashir of Bill and Bill and BJ. Yes, I believe so. We still talk up to this time. Oh yeah,、uh-huh. um, we exchange messages every now and then, and yeah, I, I think so. We got along really well. I could say that I didn't have any problems with that. Right. Yeah. So it was sort of that core staff, and then whichever city you would go to, you'd have different chefs and things like that. Right. Yes, yes, I met a lot of people <laughs> with the、uh, with the whole duration of my journey. So, and I was really very thankful because it made our journey so memorable and really so special. It's really not the places, but the people you've met along the way. Absolutely, yes. So, in November of two thousand six, you went to London. 
for the World Music Awards. So at this point, you really got to see your boss kind of transform yes. from someone you were used to seeing, like in his you know yes. Donald Duck shirt, um, and transform into the king of pop. Can you tell us about that experience? Yes, it was a very surreal moment for me because, yeah, as you've said, I was used to seeing him with his PJs and his Donald Duck shirt. And at that time, he was dressed up. So he was totally transformed. Then at that time, I realized that I was really working for the king of pop because um, there were times in the past that I would forget that he was Michael Jackson because he didn't really act as a superstar in front of us. So he was just like a regular father to the kids and a regular boss to me. But please don't get me wrong. It was just because he didn't want also to be treated as a superstar or a celebrity when mm-hmm. he was with us. So at times I would forget. But at that moment, I was like, oh my God, this is really Michael Jackson, the king of pop. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so in January 2007, you followed the family back to the United States and you ended up settling in Las Vegas. Looking back now from your particular perspective, why do you think Michael Jackson chose to come back to the US, especially when he had been so comfortable in Ireland? I think it's because of work. I've seen him in mm-hmm. Ireland busy in the recording studio, so I would assume it was all because of work. D- did you get any sense from him of him really wanting to come back to the U.S.? Was he ready for that? Did he talk about wanting to stay in Ireland at all? Um, Mr. Jackson didn't really tell me this, but I heard he was decided to stay in Ireland at the time and he was looking for a property, but I didn't know what made him change his mind. Mm-hmm. So, okay. yeah, I got um, a little hint at the time when he started um, working in the studio and people were coming in. So I was thinking that maybe he's going to go back to U.S. So he, eventually he decided to go back. I did just want to ask you one little fun story. I'm a huge dog lover. And so I would really love to hear you tell the story about the kids getting, and Prince specifically getting Kenya, their dog. Can you tell us that tale? <laughs> so I first met Kenya on our first day of school after Christmas vacation. So Kenya was a chocolate brown Labrador and he was so tiny when I first saw him. And um, Prince excitedly showed Kenya to me. And he said that it was Mr. Jackson's present for them. But Mr. Jackson gave Prince um, the sole responsibility to take care of Kenya. And Prince was really amazing when it comes to taking care of him. And during that time, we would pet him during school breaks and after school. And Kenny was such a sweet boy. He, he grew to be Prince's best friend. So that is why when Kenya passed away, I saw Prince's IG and it was so sad for Prince. Because Kenya was there since he he was a little boy, and he literally grew up with Kenya. So I could just imagine how heartbroken he was at that time. Yeah, I agree. And that was just fairly recently. And I I feel like then that happened, it was such a loss because it really was kind of this last really strong connection between, you know, his his dad. Um, Yeah, it's really sad but um but so wonderful that prince was so you know took such good care of that dog and gave that gave him such a good gave kenya such a good life so it was wonderful um i love the moment too in the book when you talk about michael jackson (laughs) saying something like 
labs are so gentle, like they'll, they're even, you know, good around babies or whatever the, yeah. <laughs> the quote was. It was very sweet. So um, can you tell us a bit about your time in New Jersey? In 2007, you were there for, for a little while. Yeah. And at that moment, Michael was was with the Cassio family. Were you, where were you living during that time? Were you in the Cassio house at all? How did that work? The family was with the Cassio and we live in a hotel that was just like five, 10 minutes away from the Cassios together with Bill and BG, um, Javon, sorry. I, I, I'm used to calling him um, BG. <laughs> and I would go there every day. So it's either Bill or BG would bring me to the house and they would pick me up after school. So that would be five days a week. Okay, wow. And the Casios, yeah, I met the Casios. The Mr. and Mrs. Casios were really very warm and really nice. So you did get to to meet the family and you were in their home. Did you see any interactions or get any impressions really of them beyond just you said they were very nice? Did you get to see any more than that between them and Michael? When I when I arrive at, the, at their house, I usually go straight to the classroom. It was one of their bedrooms. We made it, we transformed it into a classroom. So I didn't really have a lot of times with them because I was with the children all the time. Mm-hmm. So I would stay there from the moment I got I get in the morning and I only get out of the room when school was done. But there were times also that yeah, I, I would see them like on Fridays because Fridays like were like relaxed day for us. We would have film showing and everything. We'd have PE and I mean PE is every day actually. Yeah, I, I really didn't have, I, I just saw them like just normal couple and everything. We would talk normally. I didn't see anything unusual. And as far as I'm concerned, they were really nice and they were kind. I do have one last music related question again. Totally understandable if you are not able to answer it, but I'm just so curious if you have any insights on this at all. So I hope you'll allow me to ask it. And this one is related to the Casio family. So you may be aware that there are some issues around the release of the posthumous album titled Michael. It was released in December of 2010, and it contains three tracks which were reportedly recorded in the Casio home studio, but which, as you may know, there's a lot of controversy around. They were called out by the Jackson family, as well as many, many fans around the world as being fraudulent, and that the vocals are by another singer who is not Michael Jackson. So my question for you is this, based on your experience, even though you were primarily focused, of course, on teaching the kids as you should have been, um, while you were in New Jersey, do you think it's at all possible that Michael, as was claimed, recorded an entire album's worth of songs with Eddie Cassio during that time living in their house? Okay, so it's kind of hard because I haven't... I haven't seen Mr. Jackson record a thing because as I what I've said, I was just up in the classroom. So right. I haven't heard him. I didn't know. I didn't see anything because at the time I was just busy with the children and I didn't see anything. I didn't hear anything. Okay. Yes, I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. It's okay. And I'm totally not trying to interrogate you. I um, It's 
like I said, kind of um, with with the Bahrain moments, you were really one of the very few people who were around during these particular yes. specific windows of time. And so, if there's anything like that you saw at all, it's so it's so helpful and such of such great interest to um, Michael Jackson fans around the world. But I also completely understand you were doing your job and focused on the kids. So yeah, if I may add, there were really times when, like in Bahrain. I didn't live with them. Mm-hmm, right. I had my own place. So I would just go to the property. Like if the school starts at 8 o'clock, I should be there at 7.30. And if the school ends at 3 p.m., I should be out of the property at 3, 3.15 I mean, or 3.30. So I would not have, like, I didn't have the chance to really observe and everything, like any dealings and everything. So the same way in New Jersey, I didn't live with a Jackson. So I was together with Bill and, and Jivon in, in a hotel nearby. So I, aside from the school stuff, I didn't really know anything and I didn't um, observe anything. I'm, I wasn't aware of any recording done in the, in the Casio's um, um, house. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure. It, it, there may be or they may not. So I'm not. Really <laughs> sure. I'm so sorry. I'm not helpful with this. No, it's it's totally okay. It was just it was worth asking. <laughs> Thank you for for just being upfront about it. So back to your specific story, um, you were separated from your family and from your boyfriend for most of the time that you were traveling with the Jackson family. But finally, you were able to take some time off in early two thousand eight, during which time you got married, which is wonderful. Um, but you did continue to work for the family through most of that year, as I understand from the book. You said it was through the last quarter of that year, I believe. Those final months are really not touched on. Is there anything else you can tell us about that last period of time that you worked for the family? Okay, so after the wedding, I I went back to Vegas. Like it was just like three days after the the wedding, so I left for Vegas, and um, we started school right away because I missed a lot of school days, and yeah, there was nothing any particular about that we celebrated on Blackett's birthday and Princess birthday in the same year in February yeah it's pretty like normal and regular days and then I stopped working for them like in August of 2008 so your final months there were just kind of finishing up you had gotten married you decided had decided to go back to the Philippines yes so looking back what was the most challenging part of working for the Jacksons I believe the most challenging part was just being away from my family. That was it. Mm-hmm. And the most, you could say, I think the best part, you would say, is, of course, meeting them and working for them. I was really blessed and am so grateful to have really met them in this lifetime. Mm-hmm. What was the most surprising thing about Michael Jackson himself? It's not surprising for me, but it may be surprising for others that Mr. Jackson was really a very intelligent man. He's really very smart. As what I've said a while ago, he was always with a company of like books, travels, history, um, design, architecture. And he has really a very good head on his shoulder. So people might think that he's like shallow or everything, but he was not. He's really, he's really very, very um, smart. Uh, he was effortlessly funny. And 
because people might think that that he's really very serious and he would take things really seriously, but he was, but he wasn't. He was a regular or a normal person, just like you and me. Mm-hmm. So, how and when did you decide to publish a book telling your story? I actually decided last year, and I felt that it was my time to share my story. So. At the time, I want the people to know who he really was as what I've seen and observed. Writing the book took me almost a year actually to officially finish. And it was a bit challenging because it's my first time writing a book. And at the same time, I self-published the book. So, mm-hmm. But then I have a team who helped me with the design, the layout, the editing. But still, it was very challenging. It's a lot of work <laughs> self-publishing, isn't it? I know because um, I heard a lot of stories that if you ask somebody to publish your book, they might end up telling you to add some stuff, mm-hmm. maybe to add things that didn't really happen. So I finally decided to self-publish, even though it's going to be a lot of work because it's really a big no for me. Like. I wouldn't add anything that didn't really happen at all. Like, why would I fabricate stories? And my conscience wouldn't allow me to do that. So I finally decided to publish the book. But yeah, it, it was it was really, the process was really very challenging. There were sometimes deadlines were not met because of a lot of factors, like the time of my team, like the permits we need to get, publish a book, and many more. So there were times when I asked myself, do I really have to do this? Like, why am I doing this? Like, my life before mm-hmm. was so relaxed and peaceful, then suddenly I <laughs> in publishing a book, yes. Then I went to the very reason why I had to do this. Like, I, I, I went to the very reason why I needed to publish this book. So I kept on telling myself, you have to do this for Mr. Jackson. Mm. You have to tell your story. You have to share your story and do your part. Because I felt at the time that I have this moral obligation to like to defend him. Because uh, for me, he has given me nothing but kindness and generosity. Mm-hmm. And additionally, I want to inspire. I know inspire is a big word. But in my own little way, I want to share my story. That no matter how challenging the situation we are in, especially now that we are in the midst of the pandemic, that there is still hope and we should hold on and keep our faith. If I surrendered and left Bahrain straight away because of the challenges I had, I wouldn't have met Mr. Jackson and will never have the chance to work for him. So I wouldn't have traveled and see the world. So I just want to I just want the readers to get anything they can from my story or from my book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, in your introduction, or I believe you call it a preface here, yeah, you you say exactly that. You say, Michael Jackson is more than the high shrieks, iconic dance moves, and incredible voice. He was a remarkable father, boss, and friend. And your book is really beautiful in that, you know, you go out of your way to really make sure to give some of the history of his life. You let us know about the humanitarian work he was doing, you know, the projects he was like putting money towards and and you give this great list of you know some of his 
his best attributes. You say he was a father, first of all, he was a gifted cartoonist, he was a bookworm, he was a classical music aficionado, he was a giver, he was the best boss <laughs> one could ever have. Yes. And it's, yeah, it's just, you, you really do just make sure that we understand who he was on a human level, which is so important right now um, with leaving Neverland and just everything that's kind of happened in the community and just the constant Michael Jackson in life and in death. It's just one thing after another trying to knock him down. And so I think it's so, so important that we have these sort of beautiful testimonies to keep his actual truth out there and actual legacy. So thank you so much. And I, and I also, the part we really haven't talked about as much is that the book is also a really wonderful journal of your international adventures as well, <laughs> um, through all these incredible places and all the really fun times you got to have and sites you got to see and uh, baseball caps you got to collect, which is really a joy to read as well. I have to ask, where was your favorite place that you did get to travel? Oh, every place is really very uh, beautiful, but um, I would say Ireland. Yeah, I, I just love Ireland so much. And even until now, I'm, I'm wishing that I could go back. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe one day. Yes, I really love Ireland. Yeah. You have to go visit all the, the places you were <laughs> with Michael. Yeah, so much beautiful memories. I've never been to Ireland. I have to go there oh, someday. Oh, you should. You should. It's a really beautiful country. You should. And the Irish <laughs> people are really very nice and lovely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So how has the book been received so far? Have, do you feel like you're finding your readership? I know everybody's been raving about it. How have you felt as the author? Um, the positive feedbacks and reviews are really overwhelming. I am so glad that people are taking it positively and I have received a lot of emails and even private messages that people are thanking me about the book and I'm just so happy that and I feel that I successfully um, relayed my message to them and yeah I, I know at first that some people would attack me for this that some haters would attack me for this but I really don't care now and for all the positive reviews, I just, um, I mean, I read one that he wasn't really happy with what I wrote. I think he he wanted to read more. Yeah, but that is just one one um, review. And there were a lot of people who thanked me for this. And I'm just so happy and I'm humbled by the positive feedbacks of the readers. Yeah. Did that person want you to tell more insider details about, <laughs> is that I what know, it was? I, I know. Maybe he was, he was looking for some tabloid rumors and, and he couldn't find that in my book and you will be truly be disappointed because um, the book, and I just also want to emphasize that the book is my travel memoir. So it's actually my experience. So some of the chapters you may not find Mr. Jackson, like telling me about Mr. Jackson, because I focus more on my experience, my journey. So it was before and during my work with Mr. Jackson. So right. yeah, I, I, I really just hope that I was able to really my message really well. Yeah, well, like I said, I mean, you know, I think that your level of respect for the family's privacy comes through so well here. And it was, and it was the reason you were welcomed into the family as well. So 
you know, I think that's why they they trusted you in the first place. And I really do respect that. And I respect how you've presented your stories in the book. Um, there's still, you know, even even while you're being very respectful, there's still so many great stories and memories here of your own journeys and of your experiences with the kids. We didn't even talk that much about the kids. So <laughs> listeners, please do buy the book. There's all kinds of other stories about actually being in the classroom with the kids and adorable stuff about like blanket, you know, BG was <laughs> doing and yeah. with his little Spider-Man and um, yeah. it's it's great. There are lots of wonderful details. And as a reader, I can really tell how much you absolutely cared for them too. Oh, thank you. So thank you for, for doing all this and putting this down in your pages. I do want to ask you one final question that we ask all of our special guests and we like to collect yes. them at the end of the year. So Eileen, if I may ask you, um, how should Michael Jackson be remembered? Okay, so I want Mr. Jackson to be remembered as more than a celebrity or a performer. I want him to be remembered as a remarkable father, uh, the best boss one could ever have, a very decent person, an amazing person with a heart of gold. Lovely. So that's the Michael Jackson in you. Well, thank you again for creating this beautiful book. And so, Eileen, where can people find you and purchase your book? Um, the King of Pop and I is available online. They could go to my website and also on Amazon. And for those who would like to order directly from us, you could just go to my website and order. And even you can just um, send a message on my social media pages. So Facebook and Instagram. And as we started off this conversation, you live in the Philippines now with your husband and your son. And you are a business owner and wife and enjoying being back in the Philippines. Is that right? Yes. Yes. That's great. Um, I have never been to the Philippines either. I almost went once with my husband, but we, we yeah. ch- changed our plans and went to come. Vietnam instead. Yes. yes. After all this madness is gone, so you should come. And we have a I lot know. of like, beaches here. You should. You should. Yes. That's why we were going to go was for the beaches. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, if I ever get there, I will let you know. I would love to meet you in sure. person. Sure, sure. <laughs> no problem. I would be happy to meet you. Oh, that would be fantastic. Well, yeah, so we're going to wrap it up here again. Eileen, thank you so much for your time. Please go buy Eileen's book. As for the MJ cast and our socials, you can find us anywhere across social media. We are on Twitter. We are on Facebook. We are on Instagram under the MJ cast. You can also always go to the MJcast.com for our full website. And you can listen to the show on any podcast app of your choice, as well as YouTube. So uh, this has been so much fun. Just really, really appreciate having you on the show and sharing your great stories, Eileen, and sending much love to all of our listeners and stay bad. Stay bad.